Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm excellent. How are you? I'm good. Um, and in part, uh, I'm good because uh, listeners, we are once again continuing our series on the departments that comprise uh, the cabinet of the U.S. federal government. So uh, today we got... we're going to talk about the Department of Justice. That's and I right. want to tell you what cool thing I know about the Department of Justice. Okay. What's that cool thing? I, I, want, to, I want to say that the plural is attorneys general, yes. not attorney generals. generals. <laughs> and, and I'm going to tell you that it took me until I was about 15 to get that right because I, you know, well, and I, listeners, the reason I would even have heard of the attorney general when I was that young was um, Rand Contra was going oh, on during yes. my youth yeah. and, and Watergate had been er, too early in my youth to remember, but it did get referenced back whenever bad things would happen yes. on, in, in government. We have a tendency to go back to the last really big bad thing that happened and say, look, it's just like that, right? And so, History is repeating itself, even though none of these are actually repeats. They are new bad things that we create. But anyway, uh, it was it is even... attorneys general, and there are more than just the one. Although the one is the one we often talk about, which is the Department of Justice, right? Yeah, that's right. So, in, in the uh, my knowledge of the correct way to say, okay, you know the plural. Um, comes from the fact that uh, I had a good friend in my doctoral program um, who looked at how in many states, attorneys general can write um, or provide advisory opinions. Right. Okay. Um, Happens a lot in Virginia. uh, Yeah, uh, because uh, in the Virginia Constitution, any executive branch official or legis- uh, state legislator can ask the attorney general to provide an advisory opinion. Um, and because this is a power or function that multiple state attorneys general, right? Because the, ah. the first time I heard that expression, I, I, I was... I. It, it struck me as odd, right? It, it is, because you would think that the plural would be at the end, as in most English expressions. Like most of the yeah. time when we pluralize something, yes. we say, you know, dogs, cats, birds. We we pluralize the end word, even if it's pretty dogs. We don't say pretty's dog, right? We Yeah. We're but in this particular instance, and I even <laughs> I even asked my you know my friend, my colleague uh uh, uh Kevin Long. Um, who did his dissertation on this subject, I said, why is it not attorney generals? And he goes, because the emphasis um, in, in terms of that position is the attorney part. Right. Okay. And But if they, I guess if they had reversed it and called them general attorneys, attorneys. it would mean something different. different. When they say attorney 
attorney general, they're essentially giving it a rank. That's right. General yeah. being almost yeah. a military rank. It's not a military rank, but almost a military rank in the yeah. sense of yeah. this is a higher attorney than other attorneys in hierarchy yes. of attorneys. Yes. Um, I, I have to say that the attorneys general are a fascinating group of people. Oh. The ones that I remember in my oh. lifetime have all had big P personalities, except the current one. Merrick Garland, who, by the way, has the best first name ever, Merrick. Merrick Garland is a bowl of tapioca pudding. He is the most benign substance on the planet. And I like that about him, right, because he's not particularly controversial. We've had some that were flaming in your face controversial. Like they just. Sure. And, and and we'll get to Took that. no prisoners and and yeah, i think it, you're going to mention some of those <laughs> yes okay but but, it, but merrick garland bless his heart could not fire people up if his life depended on it. he's just not that yeah and in many ways he is a throwback to um what the position was and who occupied it um earlier in our country's history right very mm-hmm. measured opinions yeah. very but but I want to say something about that you mentioned something about opinions and the attorney general of Virginia, and I suspect the attorneys general of all of the places that have attorneys general, is that you said that anybody could ask for their opinion on something, Mm -hmm. but like the governor could go, Governor Youngkin could go to the attorney general and he could say, I want to know what what the legal implications of X thing are. And that person would sit down and research it and then write, or the staff would research it and they would write a, an opinion and give it to him. He does not go on his personal business. I want to know if I'm going to get sued personally for doing X thing. The attorney general is not the president's lawyer. That is the attorney correct. general is the country's lawyer. Well, yeah, he is I mean, our lawyer in the sense of all of us, not yeah, and remember, he is the equivalent of the Secretary of, for instance, Defense or the Secretary of the Treasury, which is, you know, he is in charge of a unit, okay, that in the hierarchy of the U.S. federal government is underneath the president. But in terms of enforcing law, okay, it's just like the Secretary of the Interior has to enforce various laws related to um, you know, the, 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 the nation's wildlife. Right? And the Secretary of the Interior is not going to cut down trees on the White House lawn. No. Because no. the president's like, I want to get rid of that tree. Call the Secretary of the Interior. That's not, <laughs> that's not that person's job. Similarly, I want to sue a guy okay that's not the attorney general's job right that's yeah that is there's a person who has that job and it's not them yeah sorry anyway it just made me i was like oh wait i wonder if you could get the secretary of the interior to cut down trees on the white house lawn would be amazing um and it would be terrifying because most of them are bureaucrats and would be terrible at it right like they would oh yeah you imagine them like throwing up (laughs) (laughs) okay wait you can do that but i need to have the surgeon general standing by in case we have a medical (laughs) emergency so when's the uh when's the first time okay so the attorney general is in charge you said of a of 
an agency, what he's in charge of, or rather a department he's in charge of, the Department of Justice. That's correct. And okay. so the DOJ, as we are going to refer to it now for the okay. rest of the podcast. Um, so the Department of Justice was not created until um, 1870. So we get an attorney general way before that. In fact, yes, uh, the attorney general uh, position was created by the Judiciary Act of 1789. Um, and for our faithful podcast episodes, uh, that law might sound familiar because that was one of the laws in question in the infamous Supreme Court case, Marbury versus Madison. Okay. Right. Because that was the law that gave the Supreme Court uh, original <laughs> jurisdiction to hear writs of mandamus. Or as we'd like to think of it, ultimate cosmic power. Yes, right. Okay. <laughs> but the Judiciary Act of 1789 basically created uh, the U.S. government's judicial system. It, it was Congress's first effort to do that. And they went ahead and created this position of attorney general. And initially, the attorney general not only um, uh, gave legal advice to the executive branch, okay, um, uh, uh, the attorney general well into the 18-teens was asked by Congress to give it legal advice. But according to your notes, yes, the attorney general's job was part-time. Oh, yeah. Okay. So they didn't expect a lot of work. Either they just thought if we say it, it must be legal, or they thought they knew or didn't need advice. I mean, that's fascinating to me. We're going to share Congress and the president are going to share a lawyer, but they're only going to share a lawyer part-time. Well, and, and it really reflected the fact that at least the first, perhaps first two generations of elected officials in the United States all thought that they were experts on the meaning of <laughs> the Constitution and law. And that's and it, changed in what way? Well, I mean, it, <laughs> it, okay, but it sounds like hubris, right? It sounds it like arrogance, it sounds like arrogance, but remember. There is a clause in the U.S. Constitution where all federal officers swear an oath to uphold the Constitution. So their thinking was, if we're going to swear an oath to the Constitution, we have read and interpreted. So why do we need and why do we need a lawyer unless, okay, the new country gets into situations that were not covered or contemplated by the U.S. Constitution? or any of the laws created, okay, by the first, you know, roughly, you know, 510 United States Congresses. In, and that's where you see also the importance that comes up of the Supreme Court is when you get arguments between Congress, people in the court, between, right, people yeah. in the government yeah. saying, oh, it means this, and the other side says, no, it means this, and somebody's got to settle that. That's right. Um, okay. I do think it's interesting that the early attorneys general uh, didn't get paid very much, and so they oh. kept their own private law practices. So I I love that that they're like I I'd love to advise you, Mr. President, but right now I'm doing court, so I'll catch you tomorrow. Like that's a 
Oh yeah. Now Ooh. that would never happen because when Merrick Garland sees on the phone the phone number for the White House, right? When you get the thing on yes. your phone that he answers. Yeah, he's what what, what yeah. do we need? What what's going on? What right? Like the president calls you, you answer. And I like how back then it was like, yeah, I'm gonna get to that, but it's probably not gonna be till Thursday because I've got stuff to do. <laughs> like wait, what? That's the president of the United States. It's interesting to me, but it's because they didn't pay him anything, right? They were they, they or very him. little. Okay, well, compared to the uh, other, you know, cabinet secretaries at that time, it wasn't a full time position. They didn't receive as much pay. Um, I mean, and if you were a prominent attorney, uh, at least back then, okay, there wasn't a lot of specialization even among prominent attorneys. Most prominent attorneys for you know, roughly the first <laughs> century of the United States were general practitioners, right? Right, I'm handling a divorce, then I'm handling a bill of sale, then I'm handling- You know, a, a, you know the rare, a, a railroad wants to go ahead and buy some land, okay? Yeah, um, you know, so I'm doing a contract, then I'm, yeah, oh, right. then I gotta call the president back, then I'm doing something else. like, I don't know, where does that fit in? That's all interesting okay. to me that- I mean, in a really- I would love to hear the secretary, like the president called, he'd like for you to call him back, except they of course did not have telephones. So the president, sent a message and he would so, like for you to come to the white house okay and 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 and, and before you send the messenger back you you know put you you respond on the sheet of paper with sorry i have a, <laughs> yeah. a, a private litigation conference okay i'll stop by tomorrow afternoon exactly uh i okay. love and, 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 i love the idea of it okay and and you know, and I found this in my research, and I put it in the research notes. Um, Abraham Lincoln's attorney general was Edward Bates, and Edward Bates actually ran for the Republican nomination for president, much like the other three or four members of the Lincoln cabinet, right? And and, and just to give dates on this, this is 1861 to 1864, yeah. which means this is prior to the Department of Justice being that's, formed. That's right. This okay. is still Madude by himself part time. Okay, and 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 I found this in my research, so I put in the research notes. I was just blown away by this. Okay, he Bates as Attorney General had a staff of six. Okay, he was supposed to be on hand to provide legal opinions to Lincoln and the rest of the cabinet. But Lincoln and the rest of the cabinet were all experienced lawyers. So they never asked for his opinion, right? Moreover, Bates wasn't in charge of the U.S. attorneys, okay? The U.S. attorneys were appointed by presidents. So U.S. attorneys, yeah. okay, thought their boss, and rightfully so, was the president. Was the guy who hired you. Yeah, that's right, okay? The federal court system wasn't managed by Attorney General Bates. It was actually managed by the Interior Department. <laughs> wow. And we haven't covered Interior, okay? That's going to be an upcoming episode. But the Interior Department, in many ways, was like the Treasury Department. If Congress wasn't entirely clear where to put a new agency or bureau, Okay, the two likely suspects were either the Treasury Department 
or interior, right? Because we didn't have commerce yet. <laughs> yeah, right. We didn't have the com uh, commerce department. Speaking of treasury, okay, anytime somebody filed a claim against the federal government, it was handled by the treasury department. A financial claim, you mean? Yeah, you know, um, you know, I, I, I did work for this, you know, this agency of the federal government. Oh, and they never paid me, or and they never paid. They me. owe me this much for my land because they're putting something. Or the there, the federal okay. government did X and it ruined my farm. You know, who, you know, who's going to pay me? Ah, okay. so the money part went through Treasury. Wait, treasury, the Treasury had more attorneys. Then the attorney then the general's attorney office. General, that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, you you say in your notes though that Bates also, because he was a cabinet member, could have said, you know, could have given commentary, but he didn't bother. No, he didn't bother because again, the precedent had already been set by previous attorney attorneys general that unless they really need me. I'm not really all that important. I'm following. Uh, so I just want to give you all a visual on that. So Lincoln's going around the table and he's like, civil war, no civil war. Yes or no, up or down vote, right? And he gets to the attorney general. The attorney general's like, eh, whatever. Well, I mean, well, I mean, well, think about this. Thing. And I guess if you had been dissed all along, Born? like if you had been treated as if your opinions didn't matter, then probably after a while, you would just say it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I say because, I mean, in sad way, that kind of feel, makes me feel bad for Mr. Bates. Well, I mean, in, 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 in some really huge constitutional decisions were made <laughs> by the, the president of habeas corpus, right? Okay. I mean, you know, Lincoln unilaterally suspending the writ of habeas corpus, right? Right. You'd think okay. he'd ask an attorney general if that was a good idea or not. Lincoln instituting a blockade of southern ports <laughs> lincoln never asked for bates's opinion he just went ahead and turned to his cabinet and said well should i do this or not right bates bates was just one of a handful of, of legal opinions right this this is just mind-blowing today and the thing is that a huge number of our presidents have been trained as lawyers. Yes. Yeah. Like, um, and my guess is that what we have after the evolution of the creation of the Justice Department and then stronger attorneys general is that they start saying things to the president like, you are not the attorney for the nation. I am the attorney for the yeah. nation. Yeah. Like, it's my job to investigate this. I have a staff who's going to comb through the laws of whatever it is and make sure that we're on the up and up before we do a thing. But but until then, poor Mr. Bates, um, I don't think that's a good idea. I'm sorry, I can't hear you over the sound of everybody else saying yes. So we're just going to do it. And so after the Civil War ends and there were a myriad of legal and constitutional issues that arose almost immediately with Reconstruction. The United States Congress um, uh, 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 passed a bill and President uh, Grant um, signed the bill into law in June of 1870. Um, and our first Attorney General has, uh, I believe, 
one of your most favorite names that we I, have come across in doing this podcast. I love this name, Amos T. Ackerman. <laughs> Amos T. Ackerman, uh, yeah. which is what he's known as, Amos T. Ackerman. The T stands for Tappan, and if you are from the New York area, Yes, there is a Tappan Zee River and there is a Tappan Zee Bridge that if you ask New Yorkers is still called the Tappan Zee Bridge. And if you ask anyone else is called the Mario Cuomo Bridge. Um, I say that because people who are long native of New York don't like the changing of names of things like that. <clears throat> Not that they don't like Mr. Cuomo, but they liked the name of the Tappan Zee Bridge the way it was. Sure. But so Amos T. Ackerman was our attorney general. Yes. And Benjamin H. Bristow, which is another name that I like, is uh, was our first solicitor general. And at this point, listeners, it's probably good to um, differentiate the two positions. Right? I was about to ask you, what is the difference between these two things? Okay. They're both generals, but <laughs> that is true. They're one's an attorney and one's a solicitor, which I believe isn't solicitor just British for attorney. Uh, typically, yes. Okay. But the thinking of the United States Congress was the attorney general would run, would be the administrator of the Justice Department, but that there should be a designated person who would represent the federal government in court. And that, ah. would, be, and that would be the solicitor general. Um, and in fact, that's basically what that position, and, and, and now let's be very clear, it, it, it's an office, right? Um, but we've had some really well-known solicitor generals um, in the history of the United States whose primary job is to argue or represent the federal government um, in federal court, particularly the United States Supreme Court, Okay. 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 Are they automatically admitted to the Supreme Court bar or do they have to no, they, uh, apply? No, uh, they are typically um, uh, automatically admitted once they are confirmed by the Senate. Okay. okay? Um, but to give you an example of who, you know, some of the more prominent solicitor generals, um, Robert Jackson, um, who eventually uh, becomes um, a, a justice of the Supreme Court. Um, Thurgood Marshall at one ah. point was Solicitor General. Uh, Elena Kagan, who is a current Supreme Court Justice. Um, um, so these, you know, these are, that's a very prominent position. Uh, by the way, uh, John Roberts, the current Chief Justice, was never the Solicitor General, but he worked in the Solicitor General's office and argued multiple cases in front of the Supreme Court. So let me make sure that I understand. So basically, the attorney general is an administrator. Yes. And yes. the solicitor general goes to court. court. You often probably would not find the attorney general in court. Is that? That's correct. That's, that is correct. Okay. Yes. Only on, I assume, very rare circumstances. Very rare Although circumstances. Although both of these people are trained as attorneys. Yes. They have met the bar somewhere yes. in the United States, and they are... And in part, is there, is, I know this is going to sound like a stupid question. Bear with me. Is there a federal bar or are these people just, do they take the bar in whatever state they live in? And then when. It's the latter, not the former. Okay. Yeah. It's the latter, not the former. 
So there's not a special test for an attorney general. No, they no, have no, passed no. the bar in no. Connecticut, New York. No, because we've had attorney, Virginia, wherever they've lived. We've had U.S. attorneys general who, you know, their background was, you know, contractor commercial law or Wall okay. or they worked on Wall Street, right? Um, but a good way to think about the U.S. Attorney General, once the Justice Department was created, was in large part, it became the chief administrator of the quote-unquote Justice Department. But what does that mean? Well, right. almost, but almost, almost immediately, um, the Justice Department's focus in the 1870s were the enforcement of laws to uh, implement the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, right? So the Justice Department moved into, quote unquote, law enforcement, what we would refer to as, you know, enforcing federal law. Um, and, you know, and you, and you saw this, for instance, uh, where the Justice Department used the civil rights laws passed in the 1880s to go after uh, the KKK, right? Um, and uh, uh, other uh, similar groups that were targeting former slaves in the South, right? Also, um, uh, it was during this period of time uh, that um, uh, you saw the Justice Department take control over the prison system. I was going to ask you, so modernly speaking, the, de the Department of Justice is in charge of a whole bunch of stuff, right? Oh. They're in charge of the marshal service. They're in charge of the FBI. Like all these things report, was that gradually added or as we, I mean, as we sort of figured out, oh, we need a department to do this, oh, we need a department to do that, and they're all justice related, we will put those under justice. Is that how that sort of? Oh, no, 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 that, that, that no, it happened gradually. I mean, okay. there was no master plan here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so for instance, okay, if you look at the organization of the Justice Department to, uh, today, right? So you have the Attorney General, you have the Associate Attorney General, and then you have the Solicitor General. Then they have, the, excuse me, I even forgot one. We have the Deputy Attorney General. Right? Yeah, uh, the so Attorney General, the Deputy, the Associate, yeah, the Solicitor, lots of Generals, lots yeah. of Generals. Lots of Generals, right? <laughs> but then we have divisions. So within the big Justice Department building in Washington, D.C., right? And it's a huge building. Right. You have the antitrust division, which was created in 1933. Then you have the is wait, sorry. I is that sort of the robber baron era? Is that why we get antitrust well, division around in the night in nineteen? Well, actually, the robber barons uh, were in the mid to late 1800s. We get the Sherman Antitrust Act in the late 1800s. It actually took the United States Congress nearly 40 years to create an antitrust division within the Justice Department. Okay. <laughs> okay. So to start really super, super reinforcing yes. that, it took 40 yeah. years. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You got the civil division, which used to be 
the division that handled all claims made against the U.S. federal government. Okay. And, and that's in part because we have two kinds of courts in the nation. We have criminal courts and we have civil courts. That's right. And in civil courts is where you seek redress financially. Yeah. For the most part, that's what civil court is. You have harmed me in some way. I want you to pay uh, financially. Whereas criminal court is you've broken the law and I want you to pay with your time and your person. Yeah. So that's why it's called civil division, yeah. right? Okay. Civil rights division wasn't created until the Truman administration. The criminal division was actually created in uh, 1919. Uh, we have an environmental and natural resources division, which arose in the late 1960s. Um, it gets its current name in 1990. Um, we have the Justice Management Division. That's basically the administration of the federal government's justice system. Um, uh, that was created in 45. We get a National Security Division, and Nia, this probably did not surprise you, it was created post 9-11 attacks, okay? The tax division was created in 1933, okay? After Same as the antitrust. So it starts right. off with yeah. antitrust yeah. and tax. But then, starts off with money. Yes. And then works its way into other things. But, also, but, it, but each one of those years that you mentioned are seminal years in terms of like, Civil Rights Division 1957, that starts to make sense because you're getting Brown v. and you're getting all the other That's right. civil rights acts. And and then in, in the 1960s, we noticed Silent Spring, right? We noticed Rachel um, Carson. We yes. noticed the environment was going all to hell in a handcart. And so now you get a division created for that. In tax, the tax division in 1933, isn't that around the time when you start to get Prohibition was repealed, okay, and the federal government, okay, began to go ahead and look for alternative, if you will, revenue sources because the Great Depression harmed the nation's income. Right, and in 1933, is that when you, or around that time is when you get an income tax? Well, you Isn't get it the, in the 1930s? No, no, no. The income tax occurred in the 19-teens. Teens, thank okay, you. Okay, the 19-teens. But, you know, the federal government recognized, and it took the federal government basically the, <laughs> throughout the decade of the 1920s to recognize, well, if people aren't buying and selling booze, we're not getting tax revenue from it. Right. Okay. Great and if they're doing it on the black market, it, we're, we're not especially getting, not getting, getting tax, tax revenue. revenue from it. But then the Great Depression hits, okay? And with the exception of the wealthiest Americans, okay, a whole bunch of Americans all of a sudden saw their incomes dry up, right? Right. So you need a tax division to go after people who aren't doing what? Who aren't paying their taxes because <laughs> we need to have some sort of way to have other social safety network which we can only have what i think is interesting is we have generals then we have divisions and then we have units we and have if units. that sounds like the military to anybody it's because that's how the military is divided up 
Yes. And so it's interesting that the Department of Justice is 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 similarly or, organized hierarchically, in, right? That it, right. It, it come it, it brings to mind military. Yes. Yeah. And by the way, the units, right? The U.S. Marshal Service, it did not become part of the Justice Department until 1969. Okay. Whoa. Yes. That doesn't make any sense. Okay. FBI. Okay. Um, well, that was actually um, um, uh, 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 created in uh, the early part of the uh, 20th century, but 1935 is when you get the name. Under which under which attorney general? Oh, oh, this is another great name. Yes, another great name, George W. Wickersham. <laughs> Uh, and his previous his previous attorney general, Charles Bonaparte. If you think that, I mean, like we have such boring names compared to, well, you don't, because Augenbaugh is a pretty cool name. But but yes, Wickersham, <laughs> attorney general Wickersham. Yeah, right? um, it sounds like a it sounds like a Victorian villain, <laughs> doesn't it? Yes, like right. he would be in some sort of Sherlock Holmes novel. Oh, Mr. yeah. I, 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 I see yeah, what, what you've done. Yeah. What I was going to say is <laughs> that, that has to be a, a British um, mystery comedy movie. Right? <laughs> or that. Right. Okay. okay. Right. Exactly. Okay. Um, um, uh, the federal, uh, I already mentioned this previously, Federal Bureau of Prisons used to be part of the Interior Department. Um, I love the law that went ahead. <laughs> And created the Federal Bureau of Prisons, the Three Prisons Act of 1891. <laughs> Were there only three? Yeah, because you had Leavenworth, you had the one for women in West Virginia, and then they went ahead and created a third one. So they called it the Three Prisons Act. Of Can 18- you imagine a time when we only had three prisons? I mean, oh, yeah, I mean, you know. They, that's amazing. It in really, 1891, we only needed three prisons. And it really demonstrates the significant growth of the federal government, and in particular, the number of federal laws. Right. I mean, the reason why you need more prisons is once we start getting more federal laws and we arrest more people for violating federal law, we got to house them someplace. Right. And you get into that whole, was it Eisenhower who warned about the military industrial complex? He also should have mentioned the prison industrial complex, which is a whole separate issue, which we will talk about on another episode. But Um, uh, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. ATF. Yes, we we removed the um, explosive. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to ask you about that. We just, do we not worry about explosives anymore or are they just not that common? It, it's not that common, but back then, okay, you know, one of the most effective ways to go ahead and express your displeasure with the U.S. government was, was to blow stuff up. <laughs> right. Well, and I guess when you think about early on in the yeah. history of blowing things up, back in the day, Dynamite is relatively easy to come by. Oh, goodness gracious. Yeah. Ra- railroads yeah. had it. Lots of people had, it, you know, less less easy now to just pop down to Lowe's and get a stick of dynamite. Well, Nia, I remember this. My For group, which I am grateful, by the way, well, yeah, in case yeah. anybody's wondering. <laughs> yes, oh my. <laughs> I remember when my great-grandfather died when I was 13. 
and we were cleaning out his basement. He had sticks of dynamite. See, that's so terrifying because... Because he was an old coal miner, right? right? Okay, they used dynamite to go ahead um, <laughs> in, in, when they encountered you know, a, a, a new section of mountain that they wanted to mine. Kaboom. Okay? Yes, right? <laughs> he, he, he was a quote unquote, an explosives expert. And I was just like, what's this, what's this grandma? And, and my grandma was like, put that down. And I was just like, <laughs> right. I'm, sure, I'm sure she was thinking, do not, do not do anything with that. Although when a stick of diamond is separate from its fuse, I think it's relatively benign. benign I mean, that's right? one of the yeah. things about dynamite is it's not like some of the other stuff. But. Yeah. Okay, so there are two more things I want to cover in our discussion of the Justice Department. First, as you pointed out, Nia, at the beginning of this podcast episode, we've had some rather prominent people who have been the Attorney General of the United States. Our first one was Edmund Randolph. So our listeners from Virginia, if that name sounds familiar, well, he was one of the framers. He was the first U.S. Attorney uh, General. Um, he was uh, 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 one of the uh, delegates to the Constitutional Convention, though interestingly enough, he refused to, to <laughs> sign it, okay? I'm not signing that thing. And he's a former governor of Virginia. So as is the want of Virginia historically, if you come across some sort of building, road, okay, school that's named Randolph, Randolph he's the one. Randolph Macon. Yes, right? Right. Um, but we've had others. Um, um, uh, John Breckinridge was appointed by Thomas Jefferson, okay? several of them have been have gone on to serve on the supreme court right oh, like yeah. yes. several of the attorneys general yes have gone on roger you mentioned a bunch of solicitor generals, generals that have ended up yeah. that's elena kagan and and, 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 and uh, thurgood and, marshall, and marshall. And, yeah right? um, but, but several of the attorneys general have also ended up on the supreme court right yes roger taney who was chief justice appointed by andrew jackson um, and he authored the infamous Dred Scott decision. Ah. Um, uh, a justice who we talked about in a previous podcast episode about um, Supreme Court justices and their relationships on the court. Oh, right. The infamous James Mc, McReynolds. Um, he was one of the uh, four Supreme Court justices who uh, disliked FDR's New Deal. Um, and he was known for his extreme form of anti-Semitism. Is he the one that wouldn't sit in a photograph? Yes. yes. With a, yeah, because he didn't want to sit in a photograph with Jews. Yes. Like, dude, um, seriously. And, um, and, and remember, uh, Nia, he's the Supreme Court justice that when he died, None nobody of, came no, that's right. right none of the justices <laughs> came to his funeral that's yeah right. that's right we pass like, yeah, yeah right that's pretty that's pretty harsh when people who've worked with you for a long time are like yeah no i don't care that you're dead um or good riddance uh harlan fist stone um uh, who was appointed um attorney general by president harding he served on the supreme court um and he was promoted by fdr to serve as chief justice 
after Chief Justice Charles Evan Hughes. Um, the aforementioned Robert Jackson. Tom Clark um, uh, was Truman's attorney general, I think his first one. Um, Tom Clark's interesting because Truman thought when he appointed Clark to the Supreme Court that Tom Clark would basically go ahead and vote in favor of anything that Truman did as president. Um, but Tom- <laughs> Turns Clark, out. <laughs> yes. He had a streak of independence when he got on the court. Good for him. Leading Truman at one point uh, to uh, say that uh, Clark uh, had, um, uh, what, how did he refer to it? He, he went ahead and said he was as spineless as a banana. Whoa. Okay. Um, you know, because, you know. It's a little harsh. You know, but bananas, even when they're unripe, okay, <laughs> can be squished. Right? Yes. Okay. Uh, okay. Oh, by the way, uh, Tom Clark's also interesting uh, because Tom, Tom Clark's son was uh, uh, picked to be attorney general by LBJ. And according to m many historians, LBJ picked Tom Clark's son, Ramsey. That's another good uh, name. Uh, name Ramsey uh, Clark. Ramsey. Yeah, Ramsey Clark. LBJ. That sounds like something out of a Harlequin. Yeah. A Harlequin novel, yeah. the dashing hero Ramsey Clark. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, according to historians, and, and this it was, uh, this is a really good example of how Machiavellian uh, LBJ was as president. Like we need another example. example. Okay. <laughs> LBJ wanted to nominate Thurgood Marshall to the Supreme Court, and LBJ wanted to do so for a number of reasons. He thought an African-American deserved to be on the court, but LBJ wanted to be the president to do it. He wanted that to be part of his legacy, right? Yeah, he had very strong feelings about. Yes, okay. But he, didn't have, he didn't have a vacancy. So how do you create a vacancy on the Supreme Court? Well, if you're LBJ, you could conceivably murder somebody, but, <laughs> but or have them murdered, yeah, I right. should say. He would never do it himself. He would have okay. somebody do it. But, but so, barring so, that. So LBJ nominates Ramsey Clark to be attorney general, which then put Tom Clark, who was a Supreme Court justice, into a conflict of interest bind. Because officially, okay, um, pretty much every argument that the federal government would make in front of the Supreme Court. He, can, he has to recuse himself because he would have to recuse himself. That's his son and he yes. might be biased. Yes. And that's how he got oh, rid of that's how That he is got, so LBJ. What, wow. Okay. So Tom's forced to resign, which opens up a magical spot. Voila. Oh, look, we can slide Thurgood Marshall in it. Now, that being said, Thurgood, yeah, Thurgood Marshall deserved, yeah. like, that yes. was not a nepotism. Yeah, 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 yeah. We have I, to I, get, there's I only one real case of nepotism in terms of this kind of thing that we can point out, and that's Robert Kennedy, right? Oh, yeah. That's because... JFK appointing Robert Kennedy to be his attorney general because he's his brother, and he yeah. wants to be protected. Yes. Like, he wants Robert to look out for his interests. But we're not in any way suggesting that Thurgood no. Marshall was not qualified. one, a brilliant, right, yes. a brilliant yeah. attorney, and two, well qualified to be on the Supreme Court. Yeah. 
But other other but, you know, I love that that's an LBJ. If I move this chess piece and this chess piece, then this chess piece has to do this thing, and yes. then I get what I want. That's it, a it, he was that, brilliant. And that was, wasn't the first time he did that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, okay, I mean, he wanted to put his friend Abe Fortas on the Supreme Court, but again, he didn't have a vacancy. So what he did was he went to one of the justices, Arthur Goldberg, okay, um, who he knew was kind of sort of chomping at the bit with the monastery-like existence on the court and offered to uh, 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 Goldberg um, uh, the position of U U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. And he promised Goldberg that Goldberg would be able would have an influential role in shaping the country's foreign affairs policy, which, again, he had, if, if he had you, only minimal intention of following through yeah, on. Yeah. But I mean, because anybody who studied LBJ knows LBJ he already had a plan. <laughs> yeah, LBJ, you know, basically followed his own views. Right. Yeah. He, he wasn't okay. by by you get to have an influence. I'll actually listen to what you say before I make the decision I was going to make it anyway. Yeah. But other prominent attorney <laughs> generals, um, Janet Reno was the first female attorney general. Um, Alberto Gonzalez, appointed by Bush 43, was the first Hispanic attorney general. Um, Eric Holder, appointed by Obama, first African-American attorney general. Well, Loretta Lynch, um, uh, also appointed by Obama, first African-American female. And our current... Wait, wait, before you get to our current and lovely Merrick Garland, can we can we give a special shout out to Elliot Richardson? Ah, yes. Because Elliot Richardson is beloved by you and Bill Newman for yeah. the very sole reason that he refused. I mean, not just for that reason. He was also a great administrator yeah. and he served in his country in a lot of different ways. Because, um, right, he served in three different positions, three or four different positions, positions. Yeah. as um, a, a in charge of things, but he refused to fire the Watergate special prosecutor. That's right. Um, Elliot he, Nixon called him in and said, you're going to fire these people. And he said, no, sir, I'm not. Okay. So um, Nixon's first attorney general was John Mitchell. And John Mitchell um, uh, resigned uh, for a number of reasons. Um, but uh, Nixon was uh, told, you need a squeaky clean attorney general. So he... You couldn't get any squeakier than Elliot, than Richardson. Elliot Richardson. Okay. <laughs> and then the Nixon administration gets pressure to appoint a special prosecutor to examine um, what role or connection the White House had to the break-in at the Watergate complex. And who is that? Uh, Archibald Cox. Thank you. Okay, who was a very well-known law professor at Harvard. Well, Cox. So he starts to actually do the do job. The, do the job, <laughs> right? And Cox finds out that Nixon, like most presidents of the 20th century, had been taping conversations in the Oval Office. <laughs> so Cox wants the tapes. And Nixon was just like, I'm not giving that special prosecutor of the tapes, he needs to be fired. So he calls up Elliot Richardson and says, I want you to terminate the special prosecutor. And Elliot Richardson's like, no, 
And Nixon says, okay, either you resign or I fire you. And Elliot Richardson says, I understand, Mr. President. I am, I am. It was lovely working for you. Goodbye. You know, I am ignoring an order coming from, okay, uh, the President of the United States. Uh, um, Yes. So, and then uh, we get Merrick Garland, who we who one we love his name, but also Merrick Garland. Um, for our younger listeners who may not know this, Merrick Garland was um, previously nominated to the Supreme Court, but did not receive a hearing um, right. because the GOP-controlled Senate said we're going to have an election at the end of the year we are going to wait until there's a new president because frankly they did not want a democrat um nominating and what's irritating about that to me is merrick garland is so um benign and neutral he's not super democrat like no i mean and uh he would have been a good choice for them like you've heard me say this before um if uh, if I was a Republican senator when Justice Scalia died, and um, I knew a Democratic president would get to nominate his successor, I would have been hard pressed to find um, a candidate as moderate as Merrick Garland exactly to, to replace Scalia. Now, truth be told, would Merrick Garland? have been a more liberal Supreme Court justice than Scalia. Of course. Yes. But in regards to who Obama could have nominated, Merrick Merrick Garland. Right. I mean, Merrick Garland, he went out and found the most benign person that should have been able to get buy-in from both sides. And he was uber qualified. Right. I shouldn't keep saying benign. I should say moderate because you're right. That's what the... Yeah, he was a moderate liberal. If you would have placed him on an ideological spectrum of the Supreme Court at that time, he would have been basically to the right, slightly more conservative than Justice Breyer. And Justice Breyer, when he was on the court, was not the most liberal justice on the court. Right. Right. Okay. But I mean, he would have been way to the right of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Ginsburg or, you know, uh, Sonia Sotomayor. Right. right. Mayor Garland, at the time he was nominated for the seat on the Supreme Court, was the chief judge of the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. Okay. And, and that was a pure political play of, yes, okay. we are going to deny yeah. this president an opportunity to sit a justice. But since his appointment as attorney general by President Biden, I mean, to show, Nia, how politicized the Justice Department has become in this country, right? I mean, Merrick Garland's getting it from both ends, right? Liberals have complained that he's not doing his job because he's not indicted or brought charges against former President Trump and and, uh, Trump's role in the January 6th, you know, riots, okay? Conservatives have complained that Mayor Garland is not protecting uh, the justices of the Supreme Court in lieu of their rulings from last spring. 
Um, conservatives are now complaining that Merrick Garland personally signed off on the search warrant of President Trump's, you know, private residence in Florida for, you know, apparently, you know, or allegedly, you know, the former president took a whole bunch of classified documents with him when he left the White House. He's getting it from both ends. See, I would say alleged, except that President Trump said, yeah, I took them, they were mine. I unclassify them. Like, I mean, it doesn't technically work that way, sir. But that's a whole but, thing that will be litigated. But, 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 but again, this is but I, Yeah, right. He's and the reason he's catching it from both sides is because he is more moderate. Yeah. Then like no side loves him. Right. Yeah. Because he's not on their side. Clearly, you said, was there something else you want to touch on before we no, those were those, those were the two. Uh, can the, I say that I like it when they get a crusade? Like, I like it that Bobby Kennedy was like, I'm going after unions. Yeah. I, I like that um, the civil, the voting rights, the uh, in the civil, excuse me, the civil rights and the voting rights, right? Like, aggressively going after places that aren't, that aren't allowing people to vote properly. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's. And again, this really does reflect how the Justice Department also reflects changes in our country, right? Right. Because the Justice Department is now just not your standard law enforcement. There are so many federal laws today, Nia, <laughs> that whoever is the Attorney General basically has discretion as to what gets emphasized in regards to the enforcement of laws. Right? Yes. And Eric Holder saying, I'm just not going after people for weed. Yeah. Right? I got other stuff to do. Have you noticed the world's on fire? I got other stuff to do. As or, the or, president put it in his in his press big, conference. We got bigger fish to fry. We got bigger fish to fry. Right. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate I that. I mean, Nixon encouraging John, his first attorney general, John Mitchell, you know, to prosecute, you know, war protesters, right? Which was completely within his authority. Right. Completely. And frankly, yeah. scared him a little. Sure. I think it scared him a little that he thought that those folks might yeah. set fire to things, that they might become, that it might become a revolution yeah. in some way. And he was trying to, he was worried about that. So it, it's interesting when they take on or don't take on yes. certain things, right? Because um, President Trump regularly wanted his enemies prosecuted slash persecuted in some way and the attorney generals the who worked for him would say sir we can't do that, do that. We, yes that's we, right we can't make this personal sure yeah. we can't no we can't right because that's not how our office works yes okay so i this has been fun and exciting thank you augie yeah this is 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 near as you well know and i think listeners um uh, uh you you probably picked up i i spent a lot of time studying and, and, and looking at what the Justice Department does, because so many of my classes deal with the law, and in particular, the federal government making arguments in federal court. Okay, so I mean, I've really watched with fascination the evolution of the Justice Department over the years. Well, and this is a culmination of administrative law. This is where yes. the rubber meets the, meets the road, right? Okay. And, and to me, it's just utterly fascinating. And Nia, you, you brought this up a number of times. You know, we went from an attorney general position that was part-time and got paid less than the other cabinet secretaries <laughs> to, 
to now this big sprawling agency with so much power. Ah, yeah, right. Well, so. or and in for some presidents, not enough power, but we can't get into that right now. <laughs> yeah. All so right. it's a, it's been a great evolution. Thank you, and we will be back to talk about the next department next week. All right. Thanks, Nia. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu slash discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast. Bye.